You're listening to Irish Radio Candidate Home and Abroad, and we're, again, this week, delighted to be sharing part of stuff about the uh, Irish Film Festival in Ottawa, uh, which will be getting underway starting Friday of this week, running over the weekend. That's the 14th to the 16th. And uh, one of the movies we're going to cover today is Wolf Walkers. And Wolf Walkers is an animation, and it is coming out of that fantastic animation house in Kilkenny, where the breadwinner was previously uh, produced, The Secret of Kells, Song of the Sea, and an awful lot of other wonderful animation. And I have Tom Moore with me. Tom is with me uh, from Cartoon Saloon, and Patrick Murray is here with me as well from the Irish Film Festival in Ottawa. Thank you guys for coming along. Tom, first of all, a little about Cartoon Saloon. Here we are at Kilkenny, a beautiful town, fantastic castle in the middle of Ireland. Um, a strange location in a way, you would think, to have such a globally influential house producing animation. I know, it's it's quite, I have to pinch myself sometimes. It is strange. Like, I grew up here it's a small medieval city and it was an arty place. When I look back on it, there was art here. And I was a member of Young Irish Filmmakers here in Kilkenny as a, as a teenager. So that was kind of the, the link. When I went away to college, me and some of the other people that were in Young Irish Filmmakers in Kilkenny had the idea to try and make a Secret of Kells, the, the first film that we made. And we thought we'd do it in a year or two and filmmakers would give us some space. And about 10 of us said we'd come down and we'd do it for a while and then go and get real jobs. And it's coming on 25 years later now, you know. And when you mentioned the artistic course, the Kilkenny Design Centre is probably yes. not too far from you there. I know we walked in around that uh, there last yeah. year. Yeah. And um, so Kilkenny has always been synonymous in a way, with design and with art and craft, and yeah, yeah. and it's in, like I mean, the, my wife is a ceramicist, and she has a ceramic studio here, and she did her thesis on the history of design in Kilkenny and the design yard in the seventies and all that Scandinavian influence. So there was Arts Week, and I suppose when I look back on it, it's not completely crazy that we're here, but it's also kind of a coincidence or inertia. Sometimes I think you know we we got started back in nineteen ninety nine, and we're still here, you know. <laughs> yeah, in a way, what I'm saying is, it's you haven't been. Uh, there's been no magnet that has pulled you either up to Dublin or over to Los Angeles. Many, many times over the early, the first ten years, there was lots of debates and stuff. And then sometime around uh, Song of the Sea, we kind of said there's actually a, an advantage to being here in Kilkenny, you know. And mm-hmm. you're in Ottawa, and we said we one of the things we always thought was a pity was there was just us and there was no other studios you know that we could share talent with that was maybe the main draw to being in dublin or london or paris or somewhere where there was other studios you know but we set up with a uh, ottawa studio lighthouse so mercury filmworks are based in ottawa and they wanted to have a a branch in ireland and when they approached us we said well that would be great for us because that would mean that there'd be a second studio here in kilkenny and so now we have mercury filmworks and cartoon saloon jointly own um, the Lighthouse Studios here in Kilkenny, which is in Kieran's College. It's my old secondary school. So it's very, very strange to me to have two animation studios here. Yeah. Now, when you mention the word studio, you know, when you come to regular cinema, we can all appreciate the word studio because there's scenery and there's actors and there's cameras rolling. But in the animation world, a studio has a whole different meaning. Oh yeah, it's there's um, a few desks with 
paint and paper and pencils on them, a lot of desks with drawing tablets and computers on them, the majority of desks, a few offices for meetings and a couple of editing rooms for cutting everything together. And that's it. You know, it's not all that glamorous. You know. <laughs> so, so in an average full feature length movie, two questions. One is, what would be a reasonable assumption that you would have to budget for time to say, if we, we have a concept, we know what we want to do, we need to say it's going to take us this long to try and get it out the door. And going back to the old concept, which may not be relevant in modern technology of where you had so many frames per second, how many different <laughs> animation scenes are oh, likely in a feature like movie? Well, I suppose there might be between 800 and 1,000 individual painted backgrounds. Okay. <clears throat> and every character that's on screen has to be drawn at least 12 times a second. And sometimes you'd have many, many characters on screen. So okay. it's just you lose count pretty quickly. Okay. And that's only when you get down to making it. I think once you get down to making it, it's about 24 months is a good length. 18, 24 months to make a film with a team of up to 200 people, you know. But prior to that, it could be a long time, you know, just writing the script, finding the finance, that whole period, getting the style, figuring everything out. That whole period is very hard to put a time on, you know, like mm -hmm. Breadwinner came together quickly. Uh, other films I worked on were, you know, eight years in development, two years in production kind of thing, wow. you know, like so the development period is all often sort of spotty. You know, you'd be working on other things or doing whatever it takes to pay the bills and developing the project when you can, you know. And so it's kind of hard to say that it even took eight years. It was more like we were earning our stripes and paying the bills and trying to develop it on the side. And then when it finally came together, we were in production for about 24 months. Yeah. Now, Tom, you mentioned a very important thing there. That's paying the bills. Mm. Because just given what you have outlined... And the cycle, production cycle, before you have ever get this up on a screen, a very expensive product, project. So how can you um, or what would you have going on the, the burner on an ongoing basis to help pay the bills? Yeah, we're very kind of um, we kind of diversify the income streams, you know. And so I suppose Lighthouse Studios is a good example of a studio primarily geared towards doing the animation for studios like maybe in in um los angeles and because we're partnered with canada we do a lot of projects between mercury filmworks and lighthouse you know so those those are projects that are purely just paid the bills you do the work and do what you're told and try and do a good job and you know we did like the bob's burgers movie and we do shows for apple and, and oh, netflix wow. over there like cup cup Cuphead and things like that and then here in Cartoon Saloon there's a, a load of series a TV series we do as well as the films which are often more pay the bills type projects but still they're our own original ideas which is nice and we have a whole have a whole department now that we're gearing up trying to get into toys and games and books and all of that kind of stuff which is really tricky tough market but I think there's enough of an interest now after 20 years or so enough fans that are interested in buying that kind of thing so those are the kind of income streams and then you hope that the projects themselves will at least wash their face in the box office or on the streaming platforms but you don't yeah we're, we're not like relying on hits we're always just doing lots of different things to make sure that we're keeping the lights on and then hopefully we'll have a hit you know 
And Tom, traditionally, it would have been like when I was growing up, animation was something for children. Yeah, oh, yeah. But I think that has radically changed. That what you guys do, has done is brought um, animation as just another media or medium. Yeah. yeah, that's really it. I hope so. And that's been the that's been the kind of evolution I've seen in my career. You know that it's become popular, and maybe my generation kind of grew up on animation and kept watching it. So you get shows like Rick and Morty or South Park that are absolutely not for children um, that are animated, you know. And similarly, more and more, not as much as I'd like, but more and more there's feature films like, um, you know, Charlie Kaufman did an animated feature film. Wes Anderson will do an animated feature film. And very often they're not for children. They're more for like an art house audience. But in terms of the mainstream slowly I feel like people are starting to see that animation is for everyone. In places like France or Japan, it's been that way forever. But now in the English-speaking world, I think we're seeing, you know, Guillermo del Toro famously was saying that about Pinocchio at the Oscars this year, that it was a breakthrough as animation as film rather than animation as children's entertainment, you know. I guess you wouldn't have the same idiosyncrasies dealing with your actors and your cast. Well, I won't say your cast, but your actors, as you may, you may have. You know, we have the best, the, the best and the worst of both worlds. Like we usually spend a month or so recording with the voice actors before yeah. we even start drawing. So that's the bit that's most in part in common with live action. But again, it's only in a studio like what you have there in your virtual background. You know, you might be recording uh, actors one or two at a time and uh, rehearsals and all that and then you've got the long the rest of the time the next two years you're drawing it and so that's uh, you know like you're casting animators in the same way you might cast actors so somebody who's really good at comedy or somebody who's really good at action or whatever so you kind of have animators that have the same some of the same peculiarities as working with actors but just in slow motion (laughs) (laughs) So when it comes to choosing the voices, then is the casting of personalities important from uh, very much like I know where you have Tommy Tiernan in there and you have mm. Maria Doyle Kennedy. You know, Tommy has a personality and I know mm. I know Mario Rosenstock will go to the serious Tommy and the the, mm. the other Tommy. But but uh, is the selection of the voice character um, oh yeah, critical point. Yeah, yeah, and it would be part of like even when you're designing the character or thinking mm-hmm. about the character, you'd be thinking who might play the part. So, you know, we definitely wanted the dad to be Sean Bean. You know, we had a yeah. we were watching Game of Thrones all during the development, and <laughs> we had a few different people in mind for Oliver Cromwell. It was interesting. A lot of people didn't want to be Oliver Cromwell, you know, but uh, Simon McBurney, yeah, <laughs> Simon <laughs> McBurney was up for it, and then. The hardest thing, I suppose, is finding the kids because oftentimes they're only born around the time that you started trying to make the thing. And by the time you're ready to work with them, you know, so it's a really, you can't, very rarely, like there was the little girl who did the voice of Maeve, incredibly talented. She was eight. And when we met her and she just had never done anything before. And since then, you know, we've used her for two more projects. You know, there's another feature film, Puff and Rock, coming out this summer. She did a voice in that, and she did a voice on a on a, another short project. So, you know, while she's young enough, <laughs> and then she'll age out of playing a kid, maybe she'll mature yeah. into playing an adult. But generally, yeah, there's a short window. There's a young fella, David Rall, who was in Moon Boy, you know, and yeah. uh, we were doing the animation for Moon Boy. And when we were making Song of the Sea, we cast 
wide and we ended up thinking, well, he's the most talented 11-year-old in 2012 or whenever it was in Ireland. So, you know, yeah. Patrick, have you anything you want to put in there? I was, I was going to say the same thing would happen with Disney too. Like uh, I remember uh, for their old features that you'd have a, a child actor would do one or two features and then he would age out. Yeah. You know, this comes with it. One thing I was going to say, speaking of Disney and, and other uh, <clears throat> animation uh, studios, is one thing that separates them is their distinct animation style. So, obviously, Cartoon Saloon has a very distinct animation style, which is, I think, in my humble opinion, is, is part of the, the, the success. It distinguishes, it makes, it's your artistic voice, right? So who... Who came up with that animation style and, and how do you manage with, as you said before, so many different types of animators helping you make your vision come true, keeping them uh, able to to project that style as well so it's consistent? Yeah, we're quite conscious. Like, we're kind of evolving. Like, I know the style is our calling card and there's yeah. a look at our stuff that makes people notice us compared to mm-hmm. all the other films which have, a, have another look to them. Yeah. Um, so we kind of stand out in that sense. But it started from the first film, Secret of Kells. We were trying to find something that felt like Irish medieval art. Like uh-huh. we were looking at the Book of Kells and we were looking at things from that time period. We tried to evolve a style that felt like that time period rather than the super 3D kind of whiz-bang stuff that was happening at the time with uh-huh. Pixar. And then that just evolved into Song of the Sea. And there's a whole team of us now. And what I find really nice is that, you know, we're developing a new project at the moment. And it used to be that I would do a lot of drawing myself before anyone else would join the team. But this time, in just 10 days, I've seen the team that by now are like grizzled old veterans of the cartoon saloon <laughs> style turn out stuff that I could imagine on screen, which is really amazing, you know. And, and it's it's great to see. So it's it's coming from many hands at this stage, you know. Okay. So a bit about Wolf Walkers. Um, the what would be the the kernel of the story, and what are we asking, telling the audience that uh, they're coming oh, to yeah. see? Fado, Fado, myself, and Ross Stewart, the co-director, had the idea that we wanted to speak about the the fact that the wolves in Ireland and the forests in Ireland had all been cleared out by Oliver Cromwell, you know, and we sort of had an idea that we could tell a story that was a little bit about two kids who don't even realize that they're from such opposite sides and they can be friends despite the fact that they're from opposite worlds, you know? So we've little Robin, who's a little English girl who's come over with her dad and their job is to kill all the wolves. And she makes friends with little Maeve, who's a little Irish girl, and she's actually one of the wolves. She can transform into a wolf. And so we were kind of drawn on folklore from around here in Kilkenny, this idea that, St. Patrick had put a curse on some people who wouldn't convert for him and so that when they went to sleep a wolf would leave their body in spirit form and anything that happened to the wolf would happen to the person asleep back at home. So we kind of felt that like mixing up that local folklore with some local history um, and telling a story about these two kids we were hopefully able to tell something universal and still also really specific to here in Kilkenny. So it was a real nice opportunity for myself and Ross to go up here in Kilkenny to kind of create something set here and based on local legends and history, you know. And, Tom, what kind of reaction are you getting from Irish audiences when you present something like this? Because in many cases, what you might be doing is you're challenging what are preconceived notions of legends. Yeah, and I think I feel very confident in the sense that I can kind of. There's a storyteller called Eddie Lenehan I met early in my career, and uh, he took a very free 
approach to the stories and felt that they were his to retell and I could retell them again in a different way. And they're like, it's an oral tradition and a living language. So I would hope that, you know, people enjoy it, but I wouldn't want them to think this is the gospel and this is the only interpretation of these stories. I'd be fascinated to see what the next generation might do. And maybe they'll do it in virtual reality or video game. I don't know what the medium is, but I think the stories have a little kernel of truth in them that keep people going back to them. That doesn't mean they can't be retold in different ways for different audiences at different times. So, But generally, incredibly positive. I've been really honoured by the amount of people that have said. And now we're getting to the age where there's people that grew up watching our stuff. You know, like I was teaching a master's programme and uh, one of the students said their first trip to the cinema was to see The Secret Cells, you know. And so for me, that's that's very heartening as well to be, because I didn't grow up, there wasn't really an Irish animation industry. When I grew up, there was studios in Ireland making American films, you know, for an American audience, but they weren't aimed at the, they weren't Irish, based on Irish uh, history or stories. So I'm happy that there are something like that out there for the next generation, you know. Indeed, I think it would have been, Dahi Laka might have been the closest to it. Maybe, I don't know that. (laughs) All I remember is Gregory Gronjog on Bosco. That was the yeah, but, yeah, but Bosco was. But I think it wasn't Dahi Dahi Laka might have been. And of course, oh. Patrick for, for Dahi Laka translates into Donald Duck. But oh, <laughs> so to give us the housekeeping details, uh, the this is going to be screened time, location, ticket availability. So it's uh, going to be uh, 2 p.m. on August 15th at uh, Arts Court Theatre. This is a a rare opportunity to see a beautiful film on a big screen, seen as it's meant to be seen in Ottawa. And uh, tickets are 10 bucks, or you can get three for 25, or uh, five tickets for 40 bucks. So it's bring the whole family uh, much cheaper than you would at any other cinema. And the website. Oh, uh, IrishFilmFestivalOttawa.ca. Thanks a million, Patrick. Tom, it's been fantastic connecting Thanks, with you. And maybe uh, when you make it to Ottawa later in the yeah. year, there may be an opportunity to bring some of the Irish community along. We'll certainly be encouraging them to uh, part- attend the Animation Festival, and we'll raise awareness about that when you're over for that also. Yeah. Thanks a million. Thanks a lot, lads.